I'm going to call an audible today. You, you can be seated. Our, our sermon text is a little bit longer, so you're welcome. You don't have to stand while I read it. And, and uh, we're going to skip the Gloria Patri today. So we're just going to go right from the sermon text into uh, prayer and then into the word preached. So Luke chapter 15, if you've got your Bibles... If you um, are new to Christianity or maybe just exploring the church and don't have a Bible, we've printed the text for you on page 9 of your worship guide. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, and then we'll skip down to verse 11 and read through the end of the chapter. This is God's Word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Him, to Jesus, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then verse 11, And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything he came to himself and he said how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him father I've sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son treat me as one of your hired servants and he arose and came to his father but While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now. His older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him, But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, 
you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Lord, we need you to bless your word preached. We want to hear the voice of our Savior, and we want to experience it with power. We want to experience conviction of sin that leads to joy. We want hope to break in where we're hopeless. We want you to stir us out of the false stories this world tells us that we are only as worthy as our performance and tell us the story again of the gospel. That in Christ, we are your children and heirs of all that belong to him. And so pour out your blessings. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Paul asks this question of the Galatians. What happened to all your joy? And I find myself asking it at times to myself. What, what has happened to all your joy? Joy seems fleeting at times. It, it can seem like a, a country, like uh, pictures on it, your friend's Instagram post of a country that just looks so beautiful but seems so distant. I'd love to visit the country of joy, but I don't think I'll ever have the resources to get there. It seems like such a beautiful place, but seems so far off. And yet, the benefits of joy are remarkable. It can bring hope in the midst of trials, life in the midst of the desert. Count it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Joy can break into the dark night of the soul, oftentimes those who've experienced depression find it breaks when joy breaks in again when it returns that far off experience of joy and break into the darkness. Joy is the birthright of the followers of Jesus and it comes by his word. This is what Jesus says in John 15. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy can be in you and your joy can be full, overflowing. So, my friends, let me ask you the question, what has happened to all your joy? And let me suggest that in part that what Jesus is saying in this parable, what he's teaching us is that joy and repentance go hand in hand. They always go together, or maybe better said that repentance is the gateway to a fresh experience of joy. Jesus' first message in his public ministry, his first sermon started this way, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And it's probably not ironic, following in his master's footstep, that Peter's first sermon himself after the spirit is poured out on the church in Jerusalem his first point of his first sermon is repent 
And yet what I find is that what is first for Jesus is often last for his people. And perhaps this is why we have no joy. You see, this is what's happening in in verses 1 and 2. Luke is setting the table for us. The religious elite are grumbling because Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And they're grumbling. This man must have a low view of sin. He should be shunning these people instead of embracing them. In the ancient Near East, eating with someone was the highest form of acceptance. And so they're upset. Jesus is eating with the wrong people. He's embracing the wrong people. And he must have a very low view of sin. I thought this was God in the flesh. And so Jesus tells them a parable about repentance that ends with joy. A party where heaven rejoices. In fact, he tells them three parables, all ending with rejoicing. Heaven rejoicing. Now, repentance simply means turning. Now, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about repentance. And marrying it with joy probably is the first time you've heard that. That's not typically what I think about when I think about repentance. Repentance just simply means turning. Imagine yourself driving to a destination. You've pulled up your GPS. It's directing you along the path. But as you follow the map, you realize something's a little wrong. I've, I've ended up, I don't know why I'm on this road. How did I get here? And a couple wrong turns and you find yourself driving down a dirt road wondering what, what is going on? And you find that you're on the wrong path because you have the wrong put in the wrong destination and so what do you do you turn around that's all repentance is i've realized i've gone down the wrong path to the wrong destination and it's leading me to some very strange and unhealthy and quite honestly scary places and so i just need to turn around that's what happens in verse 13 the younger son asks for his riches the father gives it to him it would have been quite an offensive ask kin to saying dad i wish you were dead i want your stuff and not you and he goes out of his father's house he spends all of his father's wealth and reckless living and ends up in a pig pen longing to eat the pig's food and so he comes to his senses and he returns back home the route the destination we're all wrong so he returns he comes back to his father verse 20 that's repentance returning back to god in fact returning and repentance are often synonymous terms in the in the bible the bible often uses them interchangeably but here's the thing and this is where joy breaks in if you are going to return to god You need to know what awaits you on your return. Or you'll never come back. In fact, that's probably for some of you, your conception of what awaits you is what is keeping you from returning. You you know that this path is wrong. And the way we typically think about repentance is this way. You need to feel so bad about sin that you'll stop doing it to such a degree the pain of sin 
needs to be so bad that you'll just stop. And that's where we talked about last week, finger wagging. We need to finger wag. You shouldn't be doing that. You need to quit doing the wrong things and start doing the right things. And, and all it does is it, it weaponizes, finger wagon weaponizes God's word against the pe- very people who God's heart is towards, the brokenhearted. Those who found themselves by their own design in such a wandering, difficult place, turning down all the wrong roads, that if we look over our shoulder and see a God whose finger is wagging, it keeps us from true repentance. I may know that what I'm doing is destructive and wrong, but it's better than the angry, shame-inducing face that I will see if I turn around. You see, the parable is prompted by the Pharisees grumbling. You're eating with the wrong people. They're finger-wagging. And so Jesus tells them a parable that essentially says you don't understand the pathway back. Or as Paul says in Romans 2, chapter 4, that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Jesus is saying, look, yes, what they've done is wrong, but finger wagon ain't going to change them because it's not radical enough. In order to get to the root, you need something more powerful than guilt and shame. And while sin might lead us down the wicked path to self-destruction, consequences, pain, and disappointment won't lead us out. The Lord must redeem. But if we are going to turn and see a finger wagon gone, then we won't turn to him for help. You see, it's not the holiness and judgment of God that brings about repentance. It's the kindness of God. See, we intuitively know, this is what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, we intuitively know that God is holy, righteous, and just. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. We look around, our conscience cries out, you're under condemnation for the things that you've done. The world around us cries out, you've done the wrong thing, judgment must follow, you don't measure up. We intuitively, we are born with that message burned into our hearts. And so why doesn't that lead us to repentance? Because we have to know how God will receive us back if we're going to return to him. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. This undeserving son has wandered away He deserves the shame that he's incurred on himself. It's not what he gets. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. 
repentance is always born out of joy and escalates joy. One author put it this way. This is the definitive author on the definitive scholar on this parable in Luke chapter 15 has written extensively on it, defines repentance this way. Repentance is just embracing being found. One author, another one, puts it this way. Repentance is joining the party that God desires to throw in your honor but in face of your dishonor and in his delight for you in the face of the harm that you've done to him, yourself, and others. Just come on in. Repentance brings joy because it brings freedom. Because it is mission. It's an admission. I can't do. And I need someone else to do it for me. And it leads to joy because you find that one in Christ. Because you find in Jesus is the one who can and will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Remember, there are three sons in this story in Luke 15. There's the younger son who goes out and spends his riches. The older son who thinks he's earned his right in God's household. And then God's only son who's telling this parable and this party is very expensive it's lavish some of you have cows you know how expensive they are to slaughter one that you've raised and he puts his father's robe on him this is an all-out party it's very expensive but the expense is borne by another the father is giving all of his valuable things to the undeserving son at great cost. But he bears the cost. That is the cross. That's what we just sung in Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And it's born by the Father because the Father goes out. This is who he is. Look at verse 20. His Father saw him. He notices him while he's a long way off. That's amazing. He's been scanning the horizon. The Father isn't a dad who's, <laughs> isn't the dad when his son is out late done this you've been out late you know you've done something wrong and you're like oh i've got to walk in that door dad's going to be sitting in his chair mom's going to be sitting in his chair and they're going to be waiting up for me and and i know when i walk through that door i've done something wrong and a scolding awaits me and i'm just going to have to bear it it's not like that it's not just waiting to bring the hammer down on his disobedient son his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him that's God's heart it's the heart of embrace and pursuit and blessing and compassion and mercy this is the heart of the father who gives lavishly to the contra deserving those who deserve his wrath he gives his grace because Jesus paid the cost 
And he doesn't just wait for you to come to him. He comes to you where you are because he has a heart for the weak and the broken. And look, lest you're at this point thinking this is a great message for those people out there. I wish they were hearing it. This is a message for you because you can be just as lost and running from God in your religious obedience as you can in your pleasure-seeking disobedience. The older son doesn't enjoy this party. The father has to go out to him too because he is a compassionate, seeking God. The father has to go out to him. The other son doesn't come to the party. He remains outside. Now look, this is just the fact of the matter. It depends, like if, if, and the reason he remains outside is I've done everything right. I, I deserve what he's getting. And if that's where the category you're in, then repentance will always, will always seem like that far off country. But if you're like, yes, I, I have wandered from God. I've sinned against him. I, then you'll find that repentance is the gateway to joy and escalates joy. Because what repentance does is, as Thomas Watson says, it sets before our eyes Christ crucified. Jack Miller, on his great book, used to be titled Repentance in the 20th Century Man, which might be the worst title ever put to a book. <clears throat> now is, is just entitled Repentance. If you don't have it, get it. If you've not read it, read it. If you have read it, read it again. Jack Miller says this. Don't attempt to confess and forsake your old ways apart from the love of God manifested in a crucified Lord. Look instead to the risen Savior who intercedes at the Father's right hand for you. As the Spirit exposes the evil of your heart, observe the wounds in Christ's hands. They are the absolute, unshakable promises of the Father, guaranteeing full access to the crushed in spirit. Therefore, as you repent, believe. And he will wash your tears in the blood of the Lamb. Watson says, Thomas Watson, the old Puritan, he says this. He says, if you want to experience contrition, like real sadness over your sin, here's how it comes. It's a sense of abused kindness that causes contrition. And so repentance always involves sorrow because it's the acknowledgement that I've committed spiritual adultery against the lover of my soul. And Watson goes on, he says, when a rock is broken into pieces, it is by the law. But on the other hand, when the gospel brings about real grief, it's like ice melting water. It's still water. But it's gone from cold and hard to fluid and malleable and life-giving. And it's the gospel, he says, that is the fire that melts ice. You see what repentance does is it changes the heart at the level of our loves. 
by giving us a better love. It drives out a love for sin because it dwells on the love that Christ has for me, a sinner. While repentance is a turning from sin at a core, it's a returning to the God who has become, because I have become, an object of His compassion, grace, and saving embrace. I'm going to stop running from God. Instead, I'm going to run to Him and find rest. And so Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 8, that the joy of the Lord will be our strength. And I think in light of this parable, which we should read that as, is this, the joy that the Lord has for me in Christ will be my strength. And so let me suggest that repentance is the gateway to joy. It escalates joy. It's saying that it's really a three-step process. One, if you're taking notes, repentance starts with confessing our sin to a God who freely blesses. And then repentance lets the Spirit melt my heart through the gospel. And only then does it lead to walking in new obedience out of love and joy. And in this sense, repentance does involve a sorrowful confession. Verse 21, Father, the Son says, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your Son. Those are the words of repentance. The emotions of repentance from James chapter 4, verse 9, be wretched, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. There is grief. Because it's an acknowledgement that I have committed adultery, spiritual adultery against this one who loves me so well. And that grief always involves confession. This is why we always have a confession of sin in our service. Because Proverbs 28 is a promise you can hang on. Here's the way the economy of God works. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy and so in this sense repentance always comes empty handed and finds joy Oftentimes, as I said it's our shame that keeps us repenting and it's our shame that keeps us from experiencing authentic relationships with each other we hide ourselves from each other because I'm just ashamed of what's really true about me and if you found it out then you would reject me and so it keeps us from really enjoying our relationships with each other but that is true in our relationship with the Lord Jesus but what you will find is that there is more mercy in Christ as Thomas Boston says there's more mercy in Christ than sin in you and that when you come exposing your sin to Jesus you will find not a finger wagging God but a God who rejoices over you because the heart of the gospel is that Jesus bears our shame. This is a transaction that takes place when you become a Christian. God places your shame and guilt on Jesus and he gives you his righteousness. And the Father accepts us as his son. So the shame you feel 
should not keep you from Jesus because he's already borne that shame for you. Gonna say his response is gonna be twofold. I knew that about you before you did. No big surprise. And by the way, do you hear the do you hear that noise in the background? That's not the that's not the thundering sound of judgment. That's the rejoicing of heaven that you've come back to me. And so repentance then always involves resting. At its most basic level, repentance is just rest. This is the point that God makes in Isaiah 30, verse 15. Repentance and rest shall be your strength. Rest and spiritual strength comes not by us getting our act together and then returning to Christ. Repentance and rest comes because we can't get our act together. And his answer is, quit trying. Return to me and rest. And that work is never done. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or five seconds today. And so let me end with a real life example of how this works from Luke chapter 7. Jesus goes to the house of a religious leader to eat dinner, and a prostitute shows up. She wets Jesus' feet with her hair and anoints them with her alabaster jar, which was a tool of her trade. And the one who found his identity in religious performance begins to grumble. If she knew, if Jesus knew who this really was, he wouldn't be showing such kindness to her, such a sinner. And so Jesus responds with another parable of great debts being forgiven, insurmountable billions of dollars being forgiven. And he says, look, Simon, you thought you were a pretty good guy. You thought you were okay. So you didn't do anything for me. There's no joy or gratitude because you thought, I got my act pretty well together. But she, she has not ceased to thank me over and over and over with her most treasured possessions why because her sins which are many were forgiven and again Thomas Watson comments on how the gospel drives repentance it's the fire that melts the hearts and he says this about her experience what a change did it make in the prostitute she who before kissed her lovers with wanton embraces, now kisses Christ's feet. She that used to curl her hair and dress it with costly jewels, now makes it a towel to wipe Christ's feet. Her eyes that used to sparkle with lust and with impure glances to entice her lovers, now becomes fountains of tears to wash her Savior's feet. Her tongue that used to speak vainly and loosely now is an instrument set in tune to praise God 
And you see, it wasn't the condemnation of the religious finger wagger that brought about that change. It was the kindness of the forgiving Jesus. And you know what he says to her? He looks her in the eye and he says, go in peace. Because you're peace with God. Now, where would you rather be? Having your act all together and thinking I'm doing this pretty well. Or having Jesus put his finger on areas of your life that need repentance because it will lead to greater joy because he's forgiven of much, loves much. There is a party waiting on the other side of repentance for all of us. All of us. None are so whole that we don't need Jesus and none are so broken that we can't come to him. So let's be a people who repent with joy. Let's pray. Lord, we need you to refresh us again. So cut us again. Don't let us lead our lives in the self-delusion that we are okay. Your holiness demands perfection, and we are imperfect. Your righteousness demands judgment, and you would be right to judge us. And so this is our only plea. Christ was crucified for our sins. And so let us be a people of joyful repentance. Melt our hearts with your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.